Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shee. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks. And today's hashtag Jill's Pin is a fishing line connecting a fish to a bobber. And it seemed appropriate to me because, first of all, Donald Trump has been told that he is on a fishing expedition in his discovery requests, but also because the House seems to be on a fishing expedition right now. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We are days away from one of the most important priorities of the Republican Congress right now. And it's not lowering the cost of health care. It's not combating climate change. It isn't passing common sense, desperately needed gun reform measures after another uh, college was forced to be on lockdown because of a shooter. Instead, it's to impeach Joe Biden. For what exactly? Good question. Um, There is absolutely no evidence suggesting that Joe Biden engaged in any wrongdoing as Republicans are currently claiming. But they continue to spew lies and misinformation about President Biden. And today we have the perfect guest to help us set the record straight. We do indeed. His name is Ian Sams, and he comes directly from the White House, where his uh, services include being spokesperson for the Oversight and Investigation Committees and the Senior Advisor to the White House Counsel's Office. So we're going to talk about both of those roles. He and his team have been aggressive in trying to push back against the let's call them what they are, the lies the Republicans are telling. And they've emphasized the facts, which is something that we all need to know. So we're really very grateful to him for joining us today to talk about particularly the impeachment resolution that um, is being presented today as we record this on December 7th. Ian, it is great to have you today. We're so grateful to have you join us on iGen Politics. Thanks for having me. It's, it's really so awesome. our pleasure. Yeah. No, and you're in a very fancy room. Before we um, came on here, you were telling us about the process of booking a room like that at the White House. Confer- conference rooms at the White House are uh, unlike any conference rooms I've ever been in before. <laughs> it's it's beautiful. Um, I love it. Um, and I'm jealous that you're there, but very yeah. happy that you're there, especially glad that you're joining us today when it, we're recording this on Thursday, December 7th, and it's the day that the Republicans released a resolution to formalize the impeachment inquiry into President Biden for, we'll have to talk about for what, because that's very questionable. The full House will vote, or is scheduled anyway, to vote next week to authorize this and the language that it is. Um, What's the White House response to it? Well, I I think it lays bare sort of what these extreme House Republicans are focused on. You know, we're trying to get Ukraine aid uh, to to those who need it most there to prevent further advances by Putin and Russia. You know, we've been pushing for uh, Israel aid to support them in the war against Hamas. These are the things that the president is focused on in this particular moment. And instead of joining him to focus on these actual real issues that are facing our country and the world, they're acting kind of like little children who are just throwing temper tantrums at each other. They're kicking out George Santos. They're censuring Jamal Bowman, you know, and then now they're going to say, oh, we're going to have an impeachment vote uh, for President Biden when they haven't even outlined what in the world they're trying to impeach him for. I mean, it, it sort of speaks to how they're only focused on using their power for these like weird Fox Newsmax political stunt kind of things like, 
you know, I think they measure success not by passing bills to help the American people, but how many times they can go on Newsmax in a week. And so, you know, they want to create these little viral clips that they can push around in right wing Internet. They want to, you know, get attention for themselves instead of getting attention for the people that they represent, instead of doing things for the people that they represent. Um, and so, you know, I think this is just another example of, frankly, what we've seen all year. Uh, when you think about how, you know, they spent the whole first month of the year trying to get Speaker McCarthy elected, you know, then they spend October, they sack him and they spend the whole month trying to figure out who's even going to be their speaker. You know, now you have Marjorie Taylor Greene mad at their speaker. You know, it's just total dysfunction and chaos. And, you know, Fox News actually reported this week that they um, that they they they're reporting is that the only reason that they're voting on this so-called impeachment inquiry is to, quote, put a win on the board for the GOP base. I mean, is this what we're, is this what Congress is focused on right now? I mean, I, I think that, you know, no, everybody across political party, across age groups, across demographic, like this is not the kind of thing they want Congress to be focused on. I mean, maybe a tiny sliver of the far, far right really wants this to happen. Um, but it really lays bare sort of the difference in visions and priorities between President Biden and the House Republicans. It definitely does. And as we mentioned in our introduction, instead of focusing on the critical needs of Ukraine and Israel, gun control, all of the many issues, climate control, there are so many issues that need critical attention right now. And they instead are doing this. But do you think they have the votes right now to pass the resolution to authorize the impeachment? We'll get to whether there's yeah. any they're there if they do that. Yeah, I, we'll see. I mean, I think that, um, you know, guessing how uh, this House Republican majority's votes are going to go is probably not the most fruitful exercise uh, as you think about the way that they've had to yank things from the floor at the last second because they don't have the votes. When you think about how it did take, you know, 17 rounds or whatever for McCarthy and how many different speaker candidates in October. I mean, like, you know, they're, they're totally dysfunctional. And I think that the whether they have the votes is sort of irrelevant. I think that what they are voting on is kind of Marjorie Taylor Greene's favorite pastime. And I think you got to think about all these House Republicans and and you look at, you know, what they ran on. They ran on inflation. They ran on focusing on national security and border issues, you know, and and they said that that would be their priority. And you think about the, you know, a lot of them come from districts that are, you know, swing, quote unquote, swing districts. And you know, is, are they they're going to all going to put their name on, you know, this sort of weird, baseless, you know, MTG driven far right thing? I don't really I don't really see how they'll they'll be supporting their constituents if they do that. And so, you know, we'll see if they have the votes. I'm not I'm not sure uh, they will. Uh, they may. I, I kind of think it, it's sort of irrelevant. Um, they've sort of proven over the last year of doing this same investigation that the evidence isn't there. There's no facts to back up what they're doing. They've sort of proven over and over again how illegitimate this exercise is, and no vote's going to suddenly make that a legitimate exercise. It's just another way, another tactic, another stunt, you know, that they can use to get attention for this stuff, which is kind of all they really want. So, so far, Republicans have... Um had access to more than 35,000 pages of private um, financial records, more than 2,000 pages of financial records from the Treasury Department, um, multiple hours of witness interviews and um, more classified information. I I'm wondering, given all the evidence and information that they've had access to, 
Have they come up with any actual evidence of an impeachable offense? What are some of the impeachment charges um, that you expect? And is there anything that spells out um, that could possibly support these charges? I mean, not only have they not found impeachable offenses, I don't think they've found any offenses of any kind. I mean, you know, they've yet to be able to turn up any evidence of wrongdoing at all by President Biden. And that's because it doesn't exist. You know, they've they've shifted in recent days uh, to say, oh, you know, the, the White House is stonewalling us from from getting information that we need in order to prove what we've been saying all along. Uh, well, they've as you just laid out, I mean, and just just yesterday, the National Archives told the House Republicans that they're going to give them 60,000 more pages of stuff. I mean, you're talking about a hundred thousand pages of material, a hundred thousand pages of material that they've sifted through. They've interviewed Hunter Biden's former business partners. They've interviewed former uh, uh, DOJ officials. They've interviewed all sorts of people over and over again, and not a single person has backed up their claims. And in fact, often they contradict the claims that the Republicans are making. And so it's it's almost an impeachment in search of a basis instead of a basis pursuing an impeachment. And, you know, you guys and you guys uh, do this on your podcast all the time. You know, Victor's only lived through uh, the Trump impeachments. You know, Jill, you've you've seen you've seen a half a, a half century of impeachments. You you were a part of the Watergate team. I, there's something really ahistoric and abnormal to what's happening here. Instead of having an offense and saying, "Wow, this is so bad and and grave that it merits what the Constitution sets out as the punishment of last resort for the gravest of high crimes and misdemeanors." instead of seeing something, having evidence of something that they're going to use to then go to that, they've jumped to the end and are scrambling to try to come up with something that they can do. And this week was, uh, sometimes it's funny how buffoonish it is. You know, this week they found that Joe Biden paid three pickup truck payments for Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden paid him back when he wasn't even in office. And they're saying that that's evidence that somehow Joe Biden was you know, getting paid by Chinese forces. I mean, it's it's literally insane. And now they're trying to rush to an impeachment process to try to, you know, keep this facade going when over and over again, the stuff that they've turned up is actually just normal stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's actually hard for us um, to articulate exactly the quote unquote impeachable offenses that they're looking at because A, they haven't laid it out and B, everything that they've claimed has been debunked and, and refuted. And so- you know, we're going to push back hard on this because I think that the president is trying to actually focus on real issues for people. You know, he wakes up every day and he works really hard on behalf of the American people on issues both for the country and the world, as we just talked about a minute ago. And, you know, this is just a waste of time and it's such a distraction from the things that really matter to people. And, you know, they can't even articulate what they're doing it for. And so, you know, it's hard to identify exactly what they want to focus on. But, you know, I think that mostly they are pushing an impeachment in search of evidence instead of going about this in the way that constitutionally you're supposed to. So what you're saying basically is a fuller explanation of why I'm wearing my fishing pin today, because as a judge said earlier about one of the discovery requests of Trump, this impeachment inquiry is a fishing expedition. And So far, the only thing I've seen, aside from the car payment accusation that money was being funneled from Hunter Biden to uh, President Biden, first of all, he wasn't president at the time. He wasn't vice president at the time. It was in between. But second of all, it was repayment of a loan that 
Joe Biden made to his son. Uh, the other allegation has been that he took money to um, fire the Ukrainian prosecutor general, which was recommended by the State Department. It was while he was vice president and he was carrying out not only the State Department's view, but the world's view that the prosecutor wasn't prosecuting and needed to go. So that the only things that I've seen them look at all fall flat. And you're right, in past impeachments, there have been at least a colorable claim or more. But I want to push back on one thing you said, which is, okay, we've given, and that Victor summarized, we've given them hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. The issue that they will counter with, and I'd like to hear you put it to rest. Yes, but you're withholding the one piece that would show the truth of this, um, that that's why we need this extra information. It doesn't matter. You gave us 100. It, it's sort of like during Watergate, where it was in response to our trial subpoena that we got the smoking gun tape. We needed that one more piece. So is there anything like that that you can answer? I, I cannot think of uh, an instance in the last year where Republicans in the House have not amped up that the next big thing that they're going to get is going to be the big thing that blows it all open. And then they get that thing. And in fact, it refutes their very claim. And so at some point, you kind of have to ask, like, why are they what is going on? Like, what what are they continuing this for when they've gotten 100,000 pages of documents, when they've done 40 hours of witness testimony of people who are relevant witnesses, witnesses that they've asked for documents that they've asked for? I mean, this it's not like they're suddenly it's not like selectively getting things that 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 that, that we determine that they get. No, they're getting what they've asked for. And over and over again, it's actually refuted their claims. And so, you know, I think that what's about to happen is you're about to see that they're entering another year, making this probably their only top priority. They've not outlined any substantive legislation that they want to work on, on issues that matter to people. They've not outlined a vision for how to help American families, how to help young people, how to help people of color, how to help any communities in this country that are being left behind. They've not outlined any of that. Instead, they're saying, okay, we're getting one last thing on the on the radar for 2023, and it's a bogus impeachment inquiry vote of Biden. And then when we come into 2024, we're just going to do a big impeachment of a Biden. It's it's weird. And, and it and it and it kind of reflects just how backwards sort of their priorities are for the country. And, you know, they they talk about this evidence. They talk about, you know, stonewalling, you know, not finding what you had hoped to turn up <laughs> is, not, is not evidence of stonewalling. It's not evidence of uh, of of obstruction. It's not evidence of um, of anything. In fact, it's just, you know, they're searching desperately for something to back up the fact that they've already jumped to this conclusion and they're desperately seeking anything that can help them persuade the country that it's valid and legitimate. When I think that they've already proven for for a year that that it's pretty illegitimate. I mean, you're exactly right. I wish they focused on things that would address the critical issues of our time, but it seems like, at least for the next foreseeable few months, um, we're we're stuck with this. But you know, with all of their lies, and I think we can call it lies and misinformation, it makes your job and and your position all the harder, especially when it comes to getting the facts across to Republicans and a right-wing audience. Can you walk us through how you, your team and the White House are dealing with this impeachment nonsense and countering the facts about Biden's impeachment allegations and false statements about policy issues? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's a really uh, tough challenge in the modern environment. I mean, we have a very 
I, I, I shudder to even say bifurcated media ecosystem. We have such a uh, uh, sort of broken uh, media and information ecosystem that uh, has been broken by, you know, 30, 40 years of the right wing takeover of, you know, news and the right wing, you know, disinformation universe growing and expanding from, you know, not just Fox, but then into other channels, into Facebook, into, uh, you know, you know, Elon Musk buying Twitter. Uh, and, and you see, you know, how, how hard it is to actually get true information across to people when, um, people and in, and in this case, the, the members of the House Republican Conference are only consuming their own chosen set of narrative and reality and facts. And you know, there was a few years ago all that talk of alternative facts. Um, you know, there's a whole segment of the 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 Congress that is sub, you know uh, uh, subjecting themselves exclusively to a set of alternative facts, and I call those lies. <laughs> And, you know, I think what we have tried to do in this instance is every single claim that these guys make as why they want to impeach Joe Biden, we get the facts and we push them out as aggressively and, and hard as possible. And, you know, we 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 acknowledge that there are probably certain members of Congress who've never heard the truth of any of this stuff because they're only hearing what Jim Jordan is presenting to them or James Comer is presenting to them or Fox or Newsmax are presenting to them. And so what we've tried to do is put all the facts down together, go through line by line each of these accusations and disprove them and then give it to them. Say, here you go. Here's here's the actual truth. Um, so that's one element. The other element is, you know, trying to talk to as many people like you guys do as much media as we can to push back on these sort of false attacks uh, and smears against the president and his family. And you have to think about some of this. I mean, some, some this has been a concentrated effort now going on four years by Republicans. There was a Senate Republican investigation of this same stuff in 2020, uh, ahead of the 2020 election. And so, you know, a lot of these are kind of recycling the same old, you know, debunked claims. And we have to just continue pushing out the truth of that. You know, we do it aggressively on social media. We do it aggressively through traditional media. Uh, we do it person to person with members of Congress, um, people who, you know, should have cooler heads prevail, should have the facts prevail. We make sure that they that they know these things. And so I think that in this environment where things are sort of so broken and it's so hard to get the truth out to people, you know, the only thing that you can do when you come into a job like this is try to push out as much as possible whenever you can. And, you know, I think that as they move into this next phase of this kind of bizarre exercise, you know, that there's only going to become a higher premium on that and, and, and holding the media accountable for it too. I mean, like, you know, these, these congressional Republicans, they often pop up on mainstream media they want media attention and, you know, folks in the mainstream media need to hold them accountable when they're lying. They need to hold them accountable when they're pushing false things on on their airwaves. Um, they can ask the question, but then they need to be ready to follow up and ask the follow up question. You know, why is a why is a repayment of a pickup truck loan payment, you know, an impeachable offense? I mean, these are the kind of things that they're trying to push. And, you know, I think we so often get lost in the process of things instead of the facts and the substance of things. And that's true both in this exercise, but also in you know, all the work that the president has done over the last two years to to make progress for people. I mean, you think about the major legislation that he passed in his first year and how those are now being implemented. And you, know, you don't see a ton of stories about factories being open to create man semiconductor manufacturing chips. You know, you don't see those stories. You don't see stories of how our energy investments are, you know, helping companies make big clean energy plants around the country and creating thousands of jobs. Like these are things that are hard to get people to 
see through the traditional media lens because, you know, the traditional media lens focuses on conflict and fighting and, you know, process things, kind of the the Bravo reality TVization of politics. And, uh, you know, and the House Republicans love to feed that, you know, as most notably with the now expelled George Santos, but who might be getting a Bravo TV show soon for all we know, right? I mean, who knows? <laughs> He probably but already I, I, had one and we just didn't know about it, that he was the star of but, you know, you know, selling cameos and things like that. You know, that's that's, right. I guess, the, the hotness of today's political culture. But, you know, I think that there's like important stuff happening in the country. And I think that, you know, people realize that I think that you've seen in you know the last four years, you know, you know, the American public is smarter than some of the, the information that they get presented. And I think with this in, in exercise, you know, we're confident that, you know, the public understands that. Joe Biden's a good dad. He, he's, he's a family man, has been forever. And the Republicans trying to weaponize that for political gain is actually kind of yucky. And when they don't have facts to back it up, um, you know, it just makes them look, you know, really crass and, and brazenly political. Uh, and so I think, you know, all we can really focus on is kind of continuing to push out the facts to people. Well, you've summarized one of the biggest concerns that Victor and I talk about all the time, which is the fact that we have two alternative universes and the people in one are listening to MSNBC and you and they get the truth and the facts, but the people on the other side are getting what they believe is the truth or fact, but is completely made up. And the problem is you can push out all these truths and facts, but if no one is listening, it doesn't help. And it is discouraging to me that there are so many people in America who still actually believe everything from the election was stolen to Joe Biden took a bribe. And it's everything from college kids to adults. Um, and it's very depressing. So I don't envy you your job of trying to get not the facts to me. I already have the facts. I read reliable sources, but getting the facts to the people who aren't listening. And I love that you're talking one-on-one. -on -one. That's certainly yeah. one way to get the facts is forcing someone to hear them and maybe, you know, actually understand them. One thing that I find actually really interesting about this particular exercise that we're talking about today, you know, a lot of people on Fox News have been pretty skeptical. I, I saw a clip just this morning of Brian Kilmeade, one of their hosts who hosts Fox and Friends, saying, man, the yeah. impeachment seems like such a waste of time. You know, you've seen people, you know, his fellow co-host, by the way, of Fox and Friends, Steve Ducey. I remember him interviewing uh, Congressman Comer. You don't have any evidence, you know, he says. And so I, I think that there are still people in the conservative ecosystem who really are like, wait a minute, what is he, what is happening here? Um, and, and, and I think that I think that the Republicans in the House have been so unable to present an argument uh, that makes any sense because they don't have one, because there are not facts to back them up. That there are still people who are like skeptical of that in, in in the conservative universe, and you know, I think that you know none of us have the the silver bullet to fix our information ecosystem, right? I think you know uh, we all uh, struggle with this um, 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 on a daily basis, on a daily basis across issues. Uh, but I think with this particular issue, you know, by continuing to sort of aggressively push this, you know, I've gone on Fox, I've done, you know, I I I very clearly remember the week of their first impeachment hearing, which, as you all will remember, was quite the joke. Uh, and speaking of, you know, conservative voices, they had multiple 
Republican called witnesses in their first hearing who said that they have not seen evidence of impeachable offenses, that they would not say that this is meritorious of, of moving to formal impeachment proceedings. And yet here we are anyway, you know, and so there are there, there, uh, you know, I remember that that week of that hearing, which just went so poorly for them. I, I talked to Fox and I answered a lot of these questions, the questions that they asked about, uh, you know, that, that the Republicans make their claims and allegations about. You know, we, we do that. I think that I think that that's important to do. You can't you know, you have to you have to tell everybody the truth everywhere they are, uh, you know, regardless of, you know, what outlet or what slant they may bring. Well, you have a very Herculean task ahead of you, which is getting those facts across, but you're doing such a great job. And we don't want to end on Republican insanity or this really depressing media landscape. So we want to end on something that you do when you're not doing what you do as the Director of Oversight Investigations, which is Senior Advisor uh, for the White House Counsel's Office. And we want to talk to you and and just have you um, end with talking to us about how President Biden is reshaping um, the judiciary, because it doesn't get as much attention as I think it should get. And it's a really big deal. Yeah, he's confirmed a record number of judges, record number of African-American women have joined the bench under this president. I think that it's something he's taken very seriously from the very beginning uh, of his administration. You've seen sort of, uh, I think historically, uh, less of a focus on the judiciary in our political system, uh, despite the fact that they uh, are so consequential, the things, the decisions that they make impact people's lives every single day. And, you know, he made it a priority very early on to ensure that our judiciary looks like America, you know, that, that it, it, it reflects the diversity of America. And, not, and that's not just racial diversity, gender diversity, diversity of experience, diversity of background, geographic diversity, where you're from. And he's made it a huge priority. And he's with a with a, uh, a Senate majority that is supportive, has made historic progress on this. And I think that that's something you look at the next you know year. Yeah, people are gonna, you know, you know, the silly season of uh, of twenty twenty four will will all happen. But you know, he's gonna stay focused on making sure that the the consequential decisions that he makes, putting people on courts for their life, you know, that that these are people who reflect American values, American experience, and it's really one of the unsung sort of successes of this administration that doesn't get the attention it deserves. And appreciate you bringing it up and talking about it on this podcast. Thank you for doing it. And thank you for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me. I'll come back. Awesome. Thank you. We'll take you up on that. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. Take care. Jill, I thought Ian did um, a great job just laying out the facts of what's happening right now and how, like your pin uh, suggests, it's just a fishing expedition that Republicans are engaging in right now. But he did mention something that I want to talk about more that's very intergenerational for um, for us to talk about. And that is what he said about the differences and impeachments that we've lived through. You know, I've and, and Gen Z has only lived through um, one impeachment inquiry, um, I guess two technically, with Donald Trump's first and second one. Um, and they were for very serious offenses. But he also mentioned for you, you've lived through both uh, Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon. You were on the Nixon prosecution team, of course. But tell us about maybe some those two impeachment inquiries and just how different they are from what Republicans are doing right now. Well, first of all, let me just emphasize that Trump the two that you've lived through, there were serious factual pieces of evidence that justified looking into potential crimes. And even though the Senate voted not guilty, 
there's no way that a legitimate review of the evidence would have led to that conclusion. If they could have said not impeachable, that's a political thing. Not guilty is a factual thing. And that was wrong. But in the Richard Nixon case, uh, of course, he resigned, recognizing how guilty he was. He resigned after the articles of impeachment had passed. And there probably would have been more articles passed. And they were based on the evidence that my prosecution team got permission from the court to turn over to the House Impeachment Committee. There were significant pieces of evidence, irrefutable, that showed that Richard Nixon had obstructed justice, had participated in the cover-up of the Watergate break-in. And with uh, the, the Clinton impeachment, it ended up being kind of a, not kind of, a very partisan thing where they went from, they started with something called Whitewater, which was an investigation into an investment and whether it was legitimate or not. That proved to have no legs. It just, there was no evidence. It fell apart. So they ended up somehow discovering through a Republican friend of Monica Lewinsky, who went to them and said, she slept with him. And that's what they ended up having the investigation on is whether he lied when he said, I did not have sex with that woman. And I believe your generation might actually think that that was a true statement because the research from the Kinsey Institute shows that younger people do not believe that oral sex is sex. And that is all that was ever alleged. And so when he said, I did not have sex with that woman, it might've actually been true in his mind. Um, For my generation, that would certainly fall within the category of sex. But in any event, that's what it ended up being. It was a big nothing burger. Um, And of course he was acquitted. The cases though, there was evidence, there was something to go on. Right now, everything that has been looked at by the Republicans against Joe Biden has proved empty. There is no there there. And that's the big difference. And that makes this a complete, I hate to say it, I, I, you know, I have a lot of witch pins, but those were because (laughs) it wasn't really a witch hunt, even though Donald Trump kept saying the investigation of him was a witch hunt. This is a witch hunt. This is definitely looking for evidence that doesn't exist. And if they had it, I wish they would come forward with it. I mean, one of the things I, I remember when Nancy Pelosi launched the first impeachment inquiry, I remember just how somber her tone was. It was something that she didn't want to do. She understood just how big of a moment there is. But there seems to be, and Ian sort of alluded to this, this gleefulness um, from the part of Speaker Johnson. I mean, he has no sort of, he doesn't feel bad that he's doing this. He doesn't take this seriously. He is actually really happy about doing this. And it just, it, the, the level of, disrespect I think they have for the process and the rule of law and just how serious an impeachable offense is, um, is, is just night and day between what Speaker Pelosi did and what now Speaker uh, Johnson is engaging in. Um, and I'll just one one thing I can't help but, you know, remember or, you know, emphasize um, as we head into 2024 is that this is exactly what Republicans promised to do if they took back the majority. And it's um, something that they will continue to do if they have the majority again. So it just there's always a political element to this. And time so- for us to start believing that. When they and Donald Trump, too, when he says, I will be a dictator on day one. Uh, I mean, I know he says only on day one, oh, well, on day one, he can abolish the whole Constitution. Right. And therefore, he's done being a dictator or done, yeah. anyway. 
But I, it's, we're getting near the holidays. So let's yeah. talk about some <laughs> happier things because I don't want to end on a unhappy note. And there are two things that I think we might have um, intergenerational uh, viewpoints of. And one is the word of the year. So let's start with the word of yeah. the year. Well, Jill, I, I want to ask you, because this is a thing that I actually say and that my friends say to me all the time, but it seems to be only pre- relevant to Gen Z, as I understand. Have you ever heard of the word Riz? The Oxford, so the Oxford um, 2023 word of the year they announced is Riz. Um, of course I haven't. And I had to look at <laughs> But, you know, I, I heard of it as soon as I saw the word of the year had been named because I love looking. I love words. I really do adore words. And um, it seems to come from charisma, a word I do know, and have it, it's obviously an abbreviation of charisma, but means, you know, gracious and wonderful and um, and charismatic, which is a perfectly good word. I'm not sure I will adopt it into my language, but I have adopted LOL and all the other, you know, abbreviations um, and use them. Uh, I use emojis. I do catch on. And so maybe I'll use Riz. I would would say, you have Riz, Victor. No, Jill, you you don't just use emojis. You use bitmojis. I do use bitmojis. They're adorable, aren't they? (laughs) Um, I could only get them to attach to emails. I get them to attach to text but not to emails. You need need a Chrome extension for that, actually. We can can help you with that over the holidays. Oh, good. Thank you, Victor. (laughs) But no, some of the other words I found was really interesting, and this relates to the other topic. Um, Riz apparently beat out a few other words this year. One of them is situationship. The other is de-influencing. And the last one is a Swifty. Ah, Which brings us to... The new person of the year for Time Magazine, Taylor Swift. Um, you know, she is she's taken Gen Z and, and young people by force. I mean, she is. I, I, I feel really hesitant to actually admit this because they're, the Swifties are a really big just force. Um, I don't listen to Taylor Swift as much as some of my friends do. I, you know, I appreciate some of her songs, but. I'm not as big as you know, big on her as as many of my friends. Um, but she is the person of the year. She sold out in LA at least. She, I think, broke the record for the number of days that she sold out a stadium. She was here for three days in a row, and every single day in that stadium, which is the largest stadium in the U.S., I think, she she sold out just completely. And it's just like her fan base is so large. She's going international. She there was a really interesting article in the New York Times about how she's actually shaping therapists and what they tell their clients like her lyrics are being used to um offer therapy uh, in some therapy sessions which i find is really interesting um but she is really and now you know um the swifties are um making friendship bracelets um for concerts and um she has also been someone who has uh encouraged her audience to go and register to vote and just from one story on Instagram, she was able to get 35,000 people registered to vote, which was a record for the organization that she linked to um, on any given day. So, you know, it's like if Taylor Swift can do anything, it is to mobilize her her audience and to get them registered to vote and voting, which I think would be amazing. And, and I would totally endorse that. I would. And for that alone, she deserves to be person of the year. She has spoken out on so many issues um, and she's powerful enough that she doesn't have to worry, oh, will I offend someone? Will I lose some of my audience? She hasn't. And she has encouraged 
power among her audience. Um, she has encouraged all kinds of issues that I think you and I would both agree are top of our mind, things that are important. So congratulations to Taylor Swift. And uh, maybe she'd like to come on our show and talk to our oh, audience. That would be, I think that would be. A little be smaller important. than her stadiums, but okay. <laughs> I bet she would attract a lot of people. She would attract a lot of people. We would we would definitely take off. So if you know Taylor Swift, let, let her know that we are uh, very big fans of her and, and we would love to have you her. We admire her, which yeah. is more important. Yes. Well, Jill, one other thing I want to ask you um, with the holiday season upon us, or maybe not the ho- it's not even relevant to the holiday season, but it's more the sports season, is that you have been uh, very passionate about uh, football lately. And, and, you know, we had on Mark Cuban on the podcast, which was a miracle because none of us follow basketball. But if anyone goes on your Twitter feed in the last couple of days, you posted about football. I did. And it shocked most of my friends and certainly my sisters-in-law were shocked. And it's all because my husband went to FSU, which was 12-0 and I wait, 13-0. And both Texas and Alabama were put in the playoffs and they're 12-1. So it's unconscionable how you could eliminate FSU from the final playoffs. It seems like a rigged system to me that would allow the people who choose who are the final four uh, to eliminate a school that's undefeated. And so I was really outraged. And of course, Barbara is from Michigan, which is in, and Joyce is from Alabama, which is in. And um, I, I just, I mean, I'm outraged by it. And I hope someone could maybe explain to me, is there any justification the only thing I've heard is that the the major quarterback was injured in the two games in at the end, but they won with their very young new quarterback. So it doesn't matter. He won the game and they shouldn't be eliminated. So all of you who are FSU fans, please let me know. Support me in this. Write to your sports pages write to the commission who makes this choice and tell them how wrong it is. FSU should be one of the four. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. If you won all your games, it seems like a no brainer that you should, you know, be, go to some, you know, go to the playoffs when, when one team has lost their, their games, you know, it just makes no sense right. to me, but I guess that's sports. Um, uh, well, we thank everyone for watching this episode of iGen politics with Ian Sam. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We will be back next week for another episode of iGen Politics. In the meantime, you can subscribe wherever you follow your podcasts and also find us on YouTube if you want to watch us at youtube.com slash Politicon. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave us a comment or a rating as it helps others find this podcast and show. Thanks, everyone, and we will see you next week. <laughs>